Section 27 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in September 2020. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. Section 27. Demosthenes. 384 to 322 B.C. by Robert Sharp. The lot of Demosthenes, the great Athenian orator, was cast in evil times. The glorious days of his country's brilliant political preeminence among Grecian states, and of her still more brilliant preeminence as a leader and torchbearer to the world in its progress towards enlightenment and freedom, were well nigh over. In arms she had been crushed by the brute force of Sparta. But this was not her deepest humiliation. She had indeed risen again to great power, under the leadership of generals and statesmen, in whom something of the old-time Athenian spirit still persisted. But the duration of that power had been brief. The deepest humiliation of a state is not in the loss of military prestige or of material resources, but in the degeneracy of its citizens, in the overthrow and scorn of high ideals, and so it was in Athens at the time of Demosthenes's political activity. The Athenians had become a pampered, ease-loving people. They still cherished a cheap admiration for the great achievements of their fathers. Stirring appeals to the glories of Marathon and Salamis would arouse them to pass patriotic resolutions. Any suggestion of self-sacrifice, of service on the fleet or in the field, was dangerous. A law made it a capital offence to propose to use, even in meeting any great emergency, the funds set aside to supply the folk with amusements. They preferred to hire mercenaries to undergo their hardships and to fight their battles, but they were not willing to pay their hirelings. The commander had to find pay for his soldiers in the booty taken from their enemies, or, failing that, by plundering their friends. It must be admitted, however, that the patriots at home were always ready and most willing to try, to convict, and to punish the commanders upon any charge of misdemeanor in office. There were not wanting men of integrity and true patriotism, and of great ability, as Isocrates and Phocion, who accepted as inevitable the decline of the power of Athens, and advocated a policy of passive non-interference in foreign affairs, unless it were to take part in a united effort against Persia. But the mass of the people, instead of offering their own means and their bodies to the service of their country, deemed it rather the part of the state to supply their needs and their amusements. They considered that they had performed, to the full, their duty as citizens when they had taken part in the noisy debates of the assembly, or had sat as paid jurymen in the never-ending succession of court procedures of this most litigious of peoples. Among men, even in their better days not callous to the allurements of bribes judiciously administered, it was a logical sequence that corruption should now pervade all classes and conditions. Literature and art, too, shared the general decadence, 
as it ever must be since they always respond to the dominant ideals of a time and a people to this general statement the exception must be noted that philosophy as represented by plato and aristotle and oratory as represented by a long succession of attic orators had developed into higher and better forms the history of human experience has shown that philosophy often becomes more subtle and more profound in times when men fall away from their ancient high standards and become shaken in their old beliefs so oratory attains its perfect flower in periods of the greatest stress and danger whether from foreign foes or from internal discord both these forms of utterance of the active human intellect show in their highest attainment the realization of imminent emergency and the effort to point out a way of betterment and safety not only the condition of affairs at home was full of portent of coming disaster the course of events in other parts of greece and in the barbarian kingdom of macedon seemed all to be converging to one inevitable result the extinction of hellenic freedom when a nation or a race becomes unfit to possess longer the most precious of heritages a free and honourable place among nations then the time and the occasion and the man will not be long wanting to cooperate with the internal subversive force in consummating the final catastrophe if philip should die said demosthenes the athenians would quickly make themselves another philip throughout greece mutual jealousy and hatred among the states each too weak to cope with a strong foreign foe prevented such united action as might have made the country secure from any barbarian power and that at a time when it was threatened by an enemy far more formidable than had been xerxes with all his millions the greeks at first entirely underrated the danger from philip and the macedonians they had up to this time despised these barbarians demosthenes in the third philippic reproaches his countrymen with enduring insult and outrage from a vile barbarian out of macedon whence formerly not even a respectable slave could be obtained it is indeed doubtful whether the world has ever seen a man placed in a position of great power more capable of seizing every opportunity and of using every agency fair or foul for accomplishing his ambitious purposes than was philip of macedon the greeks were most unfortunate in their enemy philip understood the greek people thoroughly he had received his early training among them while a hostage at thebes he found in their petty feuds in their indolence and corruptibility his opportunity to carry into effect his matured plans of conquest his energy never slept his influence was ever present when he was far away extending his boundaries among the barbarians his money was still active in athens and elsewhere his agents often among the ablest men in a community were busy using every cunning means at the command of the wonderful greek ingenuity to conceal the danger or to reconcile the fickle people to a change that promised fine rewards for the sale of their liberty then he began to trim off one by one the outlying colonies and dependencies of the greek states his next step was to be the obtaining of a foothold in greece proper 
the chief obstacle to philip's progress was athens degenerate as she was and his chief opponent in athens was demosthenes this philip understood very well but he treated both the city and the great statesman always with a remarkable leniency more than once athens inflamed by demosthenes flashed into her old-time energy and activity and stayed the macedonian's course as when in his first bold march towards the heart of greece he found himself confronted at thermopylae by athenian troops and again when prompt succour from athens saved byzantium for the time but the emergency once passed the ardour of the athenians died down as quickly as it had flamed up the social war three fifty seven to three fifty five b c left athens stripped almost bare of allies and was practically a victory for philip the sacred war three fifty seven to three forty six b c between thebes and phocis turning upon an affront offered to the delphian god gave philip the eagerly sought-for opportunity of interfering in the internal affairs of greece he became the successful champion of the god and received as his reward a place in the great amphictyonic council he thus secured recognition of his claims to being a greek since none but greeks might sit in this council he had moreover in crushing the phocians destroyed a formidable power of resistance to his plans such were the times and such the conditions in which demosthenes entered upon his strenuous public life he was born most probably in three hundred eighty four b c though some authorities give preference to three eighty two b c as the year of his birth he was the son of demosthenes and cleobule his father was a respectable and wealthy athenian citizen a manufacturer of cutlery and upholstering his mother was the daughter of Gylon, an Athenian citizen resident in the region of the Crimea. Misfortune fell early upon him. At the age of seven he was left fatherless. His large patrimony fell into the hands of unprincipled guardians. Nature seems almost maliciously to have concentrated in him a number of blemishes, any one of which might have checked effectually the ambition of any ordinary man to excel in the profession demosthenes chose for himself he was not strong of body his features were sinister and his manner was ungraceful a grievous drawback among a people with whom physical beauty might cover a multitude of sins and physical imperfections were a reproach he seems to have enjoyed the best facilities in his youth for training his mind though he complains that his teachers were not paid by his guardians and he is reported to have developed a fondness for oratory at an early age in his maturing years he was taught by the great lawyer isaias and must often have listened to the orator and rhetorician isocrates if he was not indeed actually instructed by him when once he had determined to make himself an orator he set himself to work with immense energy to overcome the natural disadvantages that stood in the way of his success by hard training he strengthened his weak voice and lungs it is related that he cured himself of a painful habit of stammering and he subjected himself to the most vigorous course of study preparatory to his profession cutting himself off from all social enjoyments his success as an orator however was not immediate 
he tasted all the bitterness of failure on more than one occasion but after temporary discouragement he redoubled his efforts to correct the faults that were made so distressingly plain to him by the unsparing but salutary criticism of his audience without doubt these conflicts and rebuffs of his earlier years served to strengthen and deepen the moral character of demosthenes as well as to improve his art they contributed to form a man capable of spending his whole life in unflagging devotion to a high purpose and that in the face of the greatest difficulties and dangers the dominant purpose of his life was the preservation of the freedom of the greek states from the control of any foreign power and the maintenance of the pre-eminent position of athens among these states in this combination of a splendid intellect an indomitable will and a great purpose we find the true basis of demosthenes's greatness when at the age of eighteen he came into the wreck of his patrimony he at once began suit against a phobos one of his unfaithful guardians he conducted his case himself so well did he plead his cause that he received a verdict for a large amount he seems however owing to the trickery of his opponent never to have recovered the money he became now a professional writer of speeches for clients in private suits of every kind sometimes appearing in court himself as advocate in three hundred fifty five to three hundred fifty four b c he entered upon his career as public orator and statesman he had now found his field of action until the end of his eventful life he was a most prominent figure in the great issues that concerned the welfare of athens and of greece he was long unquestionably the leading man among the athenians by splendid ability as orator and statesman he was repeatedly able to thwart the plans of the traitors in the pay of philip even though they were led by the adept and eloquent ascanes his influence was powerful in the peloponnesus and he succeeded in three hundred thirty eight b c in even uniting the bitter hereditary enemies thebes and athens for one final desperate but unsuccessful struggle against the macedonian power demosthenes soon awoke to the danger threatening his country from the barbarian kingdom in the north though not even he understood at first how grave was the danger the series of great speeches relating to philip the first philippic the three olynthiacs on the peace on the embassy on the chersonese the second and third philippics show an increasing intensity and fire as the danger became more and more imminent these orations were delivered in the period three hundred fifty one to three hundred forty one b c when the cause of greek freedom had been overwhelmed at cheronea in the defeat of the allied thebans and athenians demosthenes who had organized the unsuccessful resistance to philip still retained the favor of his countrymen fickle as they were with the exception of a short period of disfavor he practically regulated the policy of athens till his death in three hundred twenty two b c in three hundred thirty six b c on motion of ctesiphon a golden crown was voted to demosthenes by the senate in recognition of certain eminent services and generous contributions from his own means to the needs of the state the decree was not confirmed by the assembly 
owing to the opposition of Ascanes, who gave notice that he would bring suit against Ctesiphon for proposing an illegal measure. The case did not come up for trial, however, till 330 BC, six years later. The reason for this delay has never been clearly revealed. When Ctesiphon was summoned to appear, it was well understood that it was not he but Demosthenes who was in reality to be tried, and that the public and private record of the latter would be subjected to the most rigorous scrutiny. On that memorable occasion, people gathered from all over Greece to witness the oratorical duel of the two champions, for Demosthenes was to reply to Ascanes. The speech of Ascanes was a brilliant and bitter arraignment of Demosthenes, but so triumphant was the reply of the latter that his opponent, in mortification, went into voluntary exile. The speech of Demosthenes, on the crown, has been generally accepted by ancients and moderns as the supreme attainment in the oratory of antiquity. It is evident that a man, the never-swerving champion of a cause which demanded the greatest sacrifice from a people devoted to self-indulgence, the never-sleeping opponent of the hirelings of a foreign enemy, and a persistent obstacle to men of honest conviction who advocated a policy different from that which seemed best to him, would of necessity bring upon himself bitter hostility and accusations of the most serious character. And such was the case. Demosthenes has been accused of many crimes and immoralities, some of them so different in character as to be almost mutually exclusive. The most serious charge is that of receiving a bribe from Harpalus, the absconding treasurer of Alexander. He was tried upon this charge, convicted, fined fifty talents, and thrown into prison. Thence he escaped to go into a miserable exile. How far and how seriously the character of Demosthenes is compromised by this and other attacks, it is not possible to decide to the satisfaction of all. The results of the contest in regard to the crown, and the trial and the Harpalus matter, were very different, but the verdict of neither trial, even if they were not conflicting, could be accepted as decisive. To me, the evidence, weighed as we weigh other evidence with a just appreciation of the source of the charges, the powerful testimony of the man's public life viewed as a whole, and the lofty position maintained in the face of all odds among a petulant people whom he would not flatter, but openly reproved for their vices, the evidence, I say, read in this light, justifies the conclusion that the orator was a man of high moral character, and that in the Harpalus affair he was the victim of the Macedonian faction and of the misled patriotic party, co-operating for the time being. When the tidings of the death of Alexander startled the world, Demosthenes at once, though in exile, became intensely active in arousing the patriots to strike one more blow for liberty. He was recalled to Athens, restored to his high place, and became again the chief influence in preparing for the last desperate resistance to the Macedonians. When the cause of Greek freedom was finally lost, Demosthenes went into exile, a price was set upon his head, and when the Macedonian soldiers, led by a Greek traitor, were about to lay hands upon him in the temple of Poseidon at Calauria, he sucked the poison which he always carried ready in his pen, 
and died rather than yield himself to the hated enemies of his country it remains only to say that the general consensus of ancient and modern opinion is that demosthenes was the supreme figure in the brilliant line of orators of antiquity the chief general characteristics in all demosthenes's public oratory are a sustained intensity and a merciless directness swift as waves before a gale every word bears straight toward the final goal of his purpose we are hardly conscious even of the artistic taste which fits each phrase and sentence and episode to the larger occasion as well as to each other indeed we lose the rhetorician altogether in the devoted pleader the patriot the self-forgetful chief of a noble but losing cause his careful study of the great orators who had preceded him undoubtedly taught him much yet it was his own original and creative power lodged in a far-sighted generous and fearless nature that enabled him to leave to mankind a series of forensic masterpieces hardly rivalled in any age or country end of section twenty seven